Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I hope you didn't miss us too terribly while we were away these past couple of weeks, but we are back and with a vengeance. I am Rob Kent, as you know, the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. Um, my favorite book, incidentally, the, the one I wrote uh, about an 11-year-old biracial boy detective uh, who fights giant robot bees. It's, uh, it's a wonderful story. You're going to enjoy it. Uh, and more importantly, you can get it for free. The ebook is free to download whenever you're watching or listening to this forever. Um, the, it's available obviously in paperback, and the audiobook is narrated by the wonderful David Radke. Get yourself a copy of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. Get yourself ready for Banneker Bones and the Alligator People. That will be available in May. I uh, just uh, this last weekend gave a copy to Banneker's number one fan. Uh, so he's reading it and letting me know, making sure that it's uh, up to snuff and, and ready for the uh, for debut. Um, that will be available here in May. I'm never going to stop talking about it. Banneker Bones and the Alligator People. For today, get yourself ready with Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees for free. Uh, and honestly, if you read the blog, littlegreatninja.com, if you've uh, paid attention to me at all over the years, you're paying attention to the show, don't you want to know if I can write uh, for all this time I'm, I'm talking about it and you can find out for free? Maybe I'm terrible. Maybe maybe this will be your, uh, your modus operandi for never uh, paying any attention to me again. Or maybe I know a little something about writing and you're going to have a good story. I hope it's the letter. Uh, under the super secret pen name Robert Kent, I've written uh, young adult horror novels, uh, All Together Now, a zombie story, and All Right Now, a zombie story. Uh, Ernest Hemingway fans, who I assume tune into a show about middle grade books, uh, you're going to love All Right Now. It is a uh, almost a retelling of Hemingway's The Short Happy Life of Francis McComber. Uh, so if you like that story, you know what that's about, and you just wish it had zombies in it, here we go, all right now. Uh, and then I've got the novel, uh, the series. The Book of David is five books long. The first book is free to download whenever you're paying attention to this. Uh, it is a long, slow burn. You've heard me talk about flying saucers. You've heard me talk about alien abduction. This is the book of David. It's UFOs and flying saucers, cover to cover. Uh, today's episode of the Middle Grade Ninja uh, is brought to you by MoCon. Uh, MoCon is a festival here in Indianapolis uh, run by the wonderful Maurice Broaddus. Uh, Maurice, of course, is the author of um, uh, the Knights of Brentwood and the upcoming uh, The Usual Suspects. Uh, you might have seen, if you've been following on Twitter, Maurice got a six-figure book deal recently for his space trilogy that we're shouting from the rooftops. I'm so happy for Maurice. Uh, and Maurice throws just a heck of a con. It's 75 bucks. That includes the food. And it's three days of hanging out with editors, literary agents, authors. I'm going to be there. I am not an honored guest this year. But my plan is if I keep talking about MoCon by next year, I will be an honored guest. And that'll be exciting. Uh, so come and see me this year, unhonored. Come back the next year and see me honored. Uh, MoCon is May 3rd through May 5th. Uh, as far as the show goes, uh, we are going to be talking to multiple intelligent women. I'm a little bit intimidated by the lineup uh, we've got coming. Uh, today, we're going to talk with Megan uh, Beatty. Uh, on Monday, we are going to talk with Padma Vakatrimen. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about her new novel, uh, The Bridge Home. I have just read it this week. It has devastated me. It is an incredible read. Uh, and Padma is a, uh, a scientist. She's lived in five different countries. She has um, been an oceanographer. She's been a school director. 
Uh, she speaks multiple languages. I am extremely intimidated about Monday's episode because I know she's going to have nothing but uh, wonderful information to share with us. On Thursday next week, we're going to have literary agent Holly Root, another strong, very smart, intelligent woman that's going to uh, intimidate me. And then on the 22nd, we'll be talking with editor Allison Weiss. So a heck of a lineup. If you missed the show, rest assured, we're back and stronger than ever. So look forward to future episodes. Today, we're talking with uh, public relations expert and publicist, Megan Beatty. Megan, how are you? I'm very well. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. Uh, we were uh, negotiating to do an episode for uh, author Amber Smith, who will be here this summer. Uh, and uh, she included you on the email and thought, oh my gosh, what an amazing opportunity. We absolutely have to talk to somebody like Megan Beatty. So I'm so glad you made the time for us today. Uh, if you would tell uh, esteemed audience just a little bit about yourself and your expertise. Sure thing. Well, I um, was an English major in college and loved, loved, loved books all my life. I mean, just to tell you a silly little anecdote, when I got my driver's license at age 16, I did not know how to get around my own hometown because every time I got in the car when my parents would drive me, I would read a book. I read every single moment I possibly could. So always a book lover. And I when after I graduated from college, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I found out that there was actually a school you could go to learn about book publishing. And at the time it was called the Radcliffe Publishing Course. Now it's um, it got moved to uh, the Columbia Publishing Course in New York. And uh, I went to Radcliffe in Boston for a summer and learned all about every aspect of publishing from copy editing to editing to publicity. Um, and I heard they the course would bring in these speakers from you know, top literary agents and heads of publishing houses from New York to come talk to these to us young people about about publishing and I remember so vividly hearing Carol Schneider who was the head of um, publicity for Random House she came and talked to us and it was like I was struck by a lightning bolt like that is my dream job to, to talk about books to champion books to you know to go to book parties and um, you know to have to kind of be a, I, I mean I think of it as being a cheerleader for books because you're really, you know, you're trying to get people excited about about the various books that you're championing. So, um, so I finished the course and ended up. Um, the course um, helped the graduates get jobs in in New York at publishing houses. And so this was 1996, and um, the these, you know, we were these young college graduates starting our first jobs in publishing and the starting salaries were like $20,000. But <laughs> 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 we were like, we don't care. We, we're going to do this. We're going to like, my, my two best friends and I shared a, um, shared a one bedroom in Manhattan and we got jobs. Um, I was um, lucky enough to get the, the highest salaried job of my class of $27,000. I mean, seriously, that was like, whoa. I mean, um, we're talking 1996 money, so that maybe would be 35, maybe even 39,000 today. And we're talking living in Manhattan too. So where the apartments, I mean, I think our, I think we paid like 1,200 maybe, maybe more than that 
for our Upper East Side apartment. So you said it was you and two other people in the one bedroom. Oh yeah. So we had my two friends shared the room, and then we kind of divided up the main room with the walls. I mean, it was it was crazy, but you know, it was it was the thrill and the glamour of going into New York City publishing. So um, so the job I got was. For these, I was assisting the executive director of publicity at Putnam, and um, so Putnam at the time was not. This is way before Putnam was merged was merged with Penguin, which is now merged with Random House. So Putnam was its own entity, and um, published. I mean, amazing authors: Tom Clancy, Dick Francis, um, Robert Parker, um, Alice Hoffman. I mean, you name it, these major best-selling authors, and they would they would come in to meet with my boss, and I would just like have to pinch myself that these these authors that I had read and you know was in awe of were like there in front of me. So so I worked for for Putnam for almost a year. Um, Speaking very candidly, if you've seen the movie The Devil Wears Prada, that was a lot of my experience working at Putnam that first year in book publishing. Um, it was very, very. Do you want to identify who was the Meryl Streep character by name? <laughs> I don't know if I should. I think she's. I mean, it's been so long. It was. It was Marilyn Duxworth, who was a brilliant mind and a brilliant publicist. But man, oh man, I mean, I I had some of the most traumatic times of my entire career that first year of publishing, um, which I don't think I'll share any real details. But it was if if you've seen the movie, there's a, a scene in where um, the Meryl Streep character sends Andy for a skirt and she gives no information except she wants a skirt, but she obviously wants something very, very particular. And Andy realizes, or she asked a colleague, I think, that she can't ask any more questions. And that's a lot of how my first year, as I remember it was, like you would get 10% of the information and you had to figure out the other 90% because you couldn't, you couldn't ask your boss but you had to deliver what was in her mind. So it was very, very challenging. But um, well, obviously you've, you've moved on and you've flourished since then. Yeah. So how did you overcome that environment? What uh, tips can you give for somebody? Obviously publishing is a whole nother world and there's no Meryl Streep characters anymore, but just in case there was somebody who was in a situation like that, what advice would you give them? You know, it was baptism by fire. And I am, I'm, I'm so grateful for that year. I really am, you know, I look back and I worked with, again, an, an amazing publicist who um, was just at the top of her game. And I learned so much by observing and taking mental notes. And, you know, she really set a standard of excellence in her work for me that I think I've carried throughout my career. Um, and, and, you know, and she led me in, in an indirect way. You know, I was so like, oh, my gosh. The other thing was about this job, I was, um, and cut me off if I'm going into too much detail. Um, but No such thing for our listeners. Okay. <laughs> so the other thing about this job, it was very secretarial. So, and I knew, like, starting out of publishing, you, you, you have to pay your dues. There's a lot of 
old-fashioned aspects about publishing, which we can get into later. But you you really have to pay your dues. So you know, I had I had graduated from Middlebury College. I was a few years out of college. I thought I was pretty you know pretty hot, and it was it really had to I had to you know tell myself pay your dues. It's okay to do to to be a secretary because you will eventually get the opportunities to do real book publicity. And um, and I realized in my work at Putnam that um, that my boss, what she needed was a secretary, an administrative assistant. She It wasn't so much about nurturing my growth, but I needed to fulfill what she needed done. And that was fine short-term, but long-term, I had places to go. So I ended up... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to think back on my career and remember the women who were so instrumental, directly or indirectly, in where I am today. Um, because the next woman that I'm thinking of is um, a woman, um, her name is um, Aileen Boyle, and she um, she's a freelance publicist now. At the time, she was at HarperCollins, and I interviewed with her for an associate, because at the time, with, Mar with Marilyn at Putnam, I was a publicity assistant. And I interviewed with Aileen Boyle to be a associate publicist, which is the next jump up. And I was just so excited. I thought I just completely nailed the interview and that Aileen was gonna hire me and I was gonna go to work for HarperCollins. And she didn't hire me, but she recommended me to a friend of hers who was at this um, book, PR agency called Goldberg McDuffie Communications. And I had, at Putnam, I'd heard about Goldberg McDuffie. They, the freelance PR firm. Um, but I went in for an interview with, um, with uh, uh, the, the woman whose name is Grace McQuaid at Goldberg McDuffie. And I interviewed with um, Neil McDuffie and then with Lynn Goldberg, who was the, the head of the company. And it was like, I, I coming home like they loved my experience they loved that I had like been in the trenches at Putnam and they loved me and they gave me it made me a job offer and they made me a full publicist um so I went to work for Goldberg McDuffie Communications end of 1997 and I worked for Goldberg McDuffie Communications for 17 years um it was it was amazing. It was like it truly, I mean, a dream come true. Because when I went to Goldberg McDuffie, it was a place where they gave me my own books to represent, even though I'd just been a, an assistant. And they said, you know, here here's what we want you to do. We want you to, you know, we'll we'll nurture you, we'll teach you. We want you to ask questions. We if you don't understand what to do, ask us. And it was it was like this this mix of freedom and and trust and I just I I I thrived there and I'm so proud that I was was able to work there for 17 years. Um, I worked there for um, for four I think four years three years in the New York office and um, worked with I mean all kinds of authors from. I, mean, my, I remember my the first book that was my very own to do the publicity for was a, a book called Found Dogs by Elise Lufkin. And it was this beautiful book of 
photo essays of these of dogs that had been rescued and the, the people who had rescued them and the the ways in which those dogs had changed their new owners' lives. Um, and it was just it was such a, a great book to work on. I'm I'm a big dog lover. Um, and it's just a very special book as I think back because it really was my very first book that I did the publicity for. Um, so, but I worked on all sorts of books. I mean, I did um, Monica Lewinsky's book. I worked on that book with my boss, which was, I mean, an experience like nothing ever in my entire career. Um, I worked- What was the experience of uh, doing the publicity for a book like that? You know, it, it was beyond anything because it wasn't it wasn't a book. It was a it was a news event. So I was the point person for the media, and and it was actually not written by Monica. It was written by Andrew Morton, who's written a lot of um, um, very um, juicy books about the royal family and um, and various other others. So, and he's fantastic. He's a wonderful interview. Um, so he was really the, the person who was going to be doing the interviews for the book, but everyone wanted to do something on this book. So I would, I would be at my desk and my phone rang nonstop for like, I mean, it felt like weeks, but I think it was, you know, it was, there's always like this really quick firestorm. So it was like a week of my phone was ringing, 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 ringing. People were less on email then. It was really more about the phone. So my phone would ring. I'd pick it up. And in that moment, like I'd have the conversation and hang up. And then I'd have like 10 voicemail messages. And it just went on and on and on. And it wasn't just US media. It was everyone in the world. Every country, every media outlet was calling, wanting to, to get some sort of media scoop on this book. So, and I mean, email or uh, phone calls instead of emails, you'd be working, you know, three, four times harder than somebody doing that same job today, right? I know. I know. So, yeah, that was a really, I mean, an amazing, fun project. Um, I worked on, at Goldberg and Steffi, I worked on um, Princess Diana's Bodyguards book. That was another very big um, media book. Um, and then, you know, so many others that, no, I, I love working on the big splashy books. That's always fun and always exciting. But I also, I love working on a book that I feel at, at the end of a campaign, I feel like if I hadn't been a part of it, it wouldn't have gotten as much attention as it did. Like when I feel like I've really made a difference on a book that might've gone, might've been overlooked, like that is an incredibly satisfying aspect of the job. So, um, yeah, so that was, so Goldberg McDuffie, I was, I was in the New York office, um, September 11th happened. Um, it was, a, um, I mean, I remember that day so vividly as so many people do. We were, we were working as an agency, we were working on Jack Welch's um, autobiography and he was gonna have a press conference that day um, at 11 and I went and we got into the office um, at like 8.45 and then the, the planes happened and we, you know, it just unfolded and we were evacuated because we were, our office was close to um, 30 Rock and NBC and the media. And so um, 
yeah, I mean, and all of the, you know, horror, horror that happened, um, it was just a real, you know, long term, it was a real wake up call for me. Um, I love New York. I knew like New York publishing is, you know, that's the epicenter of publishing, but I'm from a, um, I'm a fifth generation of a farming family in Southern California and my family is the most important thing to me. And I just felt like I really wanted to be where my heart is. So it felt like career suicide to leave New York when I'm trying to do book publicity. But my, um, but Lynn Goldberg, um, amazing mentor and friend, she would not let me quit. She said, you know, I think they read books in Los Angeles, you know, go see what you can do out there. Um, and, and it was great. And I, I have really, you know, I built up a local um, network in Los Angeles. And then I would work with authors and some of them wouldn't even know I wasn't still in the New York office because then at, at that time, that was, you know, um, 2001, people were, you know, much more internet savvy and um, it was, you know, I could, I could work, I could get up really early and work with a UK client and they wouldn't know the difference. So, um, so it was really, it was really great. And I'm so grateful that I was able to, to work for Goldberg McDuffie remotely as, as long as I did. Um, and were you vice president at that time or did that come later? Um, I'm trying to think. No, I think I must've gotten that promotion while working remotely. So Lynn, Lynn was always just so generous with, with her titles and you know she wanted us to feel because we weren't because there is such a hierarchy in a publishing house of titles she even though we were a small agency of like um you know it sort of varied between five and four and seven publicists in the agency she wanted us to feel that we were on the same level as the publicists who were in-house at publishing houses so um yeah so mm -hmm. i Go ahead. At, at that point, um, by the time you're you're moving out to LA, I'm assuming you had most of the contacts you would have needed to make in New York, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and it was um, yeah, it was great because I I had those contacts and I would just always you know whenever I I go back to New York at least a few times a year, so I'm making sure I have that FaceTime because I'm a firm believer that I'm, email is great and super efficient, but there's nothing like FaceTime really having authentic um, connections with people and you know that's that's advice that I, I give my authors too is you know don't we can obviously get into that too but you know don't stay in the ivory tower you gotta you know write good books but then you gotta get out in the world and and talk to people and shake hands and sign books and so um, so yeah so it worked out it worked out really well um, to you know, have kind of the New York sensibility, but also figure out the LA literary landscape. So that's kind of a hobby horse of mine because uh, I work uh, remotely. My wife works remotely much of the week. She's in the tech industry. Um, and I wonder when I see some of the expenses that um, publishers in New York accrue over time, in yeah. this day and age, you and I are chatting. I'm in Indiana. You're in Los Angeles. Uh, anybody can email anybody from anywhere in the world. Why are they still paying those Manhattan, uh, Manhattan uh, rates? Why are they making their publicists uh, live in uh, th and three people in a studio apartment or a one bedroom apartment? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I think more and more um, more and more people are 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 
pushing back, really trying to, you know, live where it's meaningful and cheaper. And, um, you know, it, I think there, there's, there tends to be kind of, you know, some companies are just more used to it than others. Goldberg McDuffie, where I was, had, I wasn't the first, there had already been one um, publicist who moved to Austin, Texas for her family. And she had done amazingly well working remotely. So for, for Lynn at the time, um, it wasn't, it wasn't um, something that she couldn't get her mind around. But I think for publishers where there is so much, there are many in-person meetings and department meetings and everyone's together and on the same time zone, I think it's hard to kind of let people disperse um, because um, there, I think publishers do really rely on kind of the face-to-face -face connections. So, um, but certainly there, um, I have a little network of publicists, book publicists in, in LA and um, two of two of my friends are working remotely for for publishers um, who are based in New York, and they're doing amazing. So, so it it can totally work, and and I hope that more people have the opportunity to do it. And when you're uh, networking and making relationships that you need um, to to sustain you and sustain uh, the books that you want to promote. Um, I'm assuming you're not just walking up to people every time you you need something like hello let me let me talk to you about this book that we're doing right this moment and then I'll never talk to you again until the next book. Yeah. So how are you going out and um, socializing with people and making those connections? Yeah, all different ways. Um, there's a number of um, of uh, media contacts who cover books in Los Angeles, so I'm um, reaching out to them to schedule a lunch. Can I talk to you about the exciting books I have coming up in the summer and the fall? And um, a I, lunch like that is that uh, is that on you? Uh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Um, and I and I, what I do try to do is do it with my my group so that we're maximizing that journalist time. So if three of us come out, and I I I believe we're 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 all in this together. So I don't see my friends because I have friends who are also freelance book publicists. So I don't see them as, oh, competitors. I, I see them as colleagues because I'm a one woman show and it can be it can be isolating. And I think your greatest success as a book publicist is having having colleagues to bounce ideas off of, to to say like, oh, did you hear um, so-and-so is no longer covering books at the San Francisco Chronicle? Here's the new person. So you just, as a publicist, you just can't exist in a vacuum. You really have to have to have to socialize with your own tribe, and so to that end, I'll often say like, say to my my publicist friend, hey, you know, Entertainment Weekly is now in Los Angeles. Let's you know, shall we go as a group? Shall we invite um, the book editor out to lunch? And you know, usually their the media is open to that because they they're not just meeting with one person; they're hearing from the representatives from a number of publishers. And so it only can, can help with what they're doing and help their efforts. So so there's a lot of that. Um, the LA Times Book Festival is this weekend, um, huge, amazing festival. And um, so the, they, there's an award ceremony on Friday night. So I always, you know, I go to that and make sure I smile and visit, visit with people. Um, yeah, I mean, any opportunity, um, for, for FaceTime, I think is really, really important to, so people 
see that, you know, I'm not just an email address. I'm a human being who really, really loves what I do. Sorry, let me just turn this off. And then um, go ahead. I wanted to ask you because yeah. obviously you're a big reader. Um, yeah. Are you, was, was this extrovert uh, tendencies that you've had to develop? Is that something, a skill you had to acquire? Or have you always been an extrovert who just also likes the introverted activity of reading? That's such, that's a great question because I was so shy growing up, so shy. I mean, I would, my mom would, in the grocery store, my mom would say, um, uh, would ask me to go ask the grocery store clerk where, you know, the apple juice is. And I would make my younger sister do it because <laughs> I didn't want to talk to people. So I would say um, I'm a, I'm an, I'm a conscious extrovert. I have to really make myself because it's, it's very easy to stay home behind the computer screens. But I, I push myself and I always, I'm always happy that I went somewhere where I didn't know a soul and made myself talk to strangers. I'm always, I always meet someone interesting who, you know, might lead to something great for my, for my, the books I'm working on, or just who's interesting to talk to. So, yeah, but I have to push myself. <laughs> Well, I want to talk to you about um, the services that you're offering, all manner of publicity. But I also want to ask, just knowing that you you are a, a book nerd like me, um, and um, and you've got to meet all of these wonderful authors at, at, at such a young age. Um, what is the uh, most awkward encounter that you had? had? Did you ever just make a fool of yourself in front of somebody so famous and, and so amazing that you admired? Oh, I do it all the time. That's why I asked. No, I totally. I'm just trying to think which which one. Oh my goodness. Um, this is actually this is a funny story. It's I it, I didn't actually embarrass myself in front of the author, but it's 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 just too good a story not to tell. So so I um I work with Marsha Clark on her um her her uh, legal thrillers, and she's a fantastic um writer i just i love her book she's a great series um and she was doing this interview um on it's called home and family and it's a um it's a tv show on the hallmark channel and they film um on a lot at universal studios it's like where the old um desperate housewives set is so it's like you still see wisteria lane and all this stuff so i was she marcia was going there in a car and I was going to, I plan to meet her there. And I, I'm not good with directions. Let's just say that. So I pull, get to the gate guard and I pull in and they're like, go to get to the, the, where the studio is. You have to like go left, go right, turn left on Steven Spielberg way. And then go. So I'm like following, trying to follow the directions. And then, and this is on the Universal Studios lot where they have the tours. And I must have made a wrong turn because all of a sudden I see myself going down this road and there is the, um, the water and the shark from Jaws. <laughs> okay, so I'm coming down, I'm like, whoa, there's the shark from Jaws. Coming the other way on a one, one-way street is the big Universal Studios tour bus. So here I am playing chicken with the Universal Studios <laughs> shark right there, clearly not where I'm supposed to be. And the tour guide is like, what are you doing? 
So I was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. So I backed, back, 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 backed up and made the right turn and then finally got to the, to the, um, to the, to where the studio was. So, so luckily Marsha had no idea, but I was so embarrassed and could not believe I'd done that. It was just so typical of me. So, yeah. Well, I think in a game of chicken like that, we all know the shark wins. But <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's how it has to end. I know. Well, I want to, uh, I've got all kinds of questions for you about publicity and how to how to market. Uh, but before we get to any of it, I got to ask, have you, Megan Beatty, ever seen a flying saucer and do you believe in them? Gosh, you know, I remember as a kid hearing like this weird, like, whoa, 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 noise and wanting to believe. Like, I'm sure it was a helicopter or something, but wanting, I just remember that like desperately wanting to believe like that's what it was. I never saw anything, and I think it would be so cool to see one. So cool, but no, never have. It's on my bucket list before uh, before I go. That's something I want to see. Yeah, totally. Oh, my my wife's always telling me, you know, when it, when it comes to life goals, you should do things you have control over. Well, I, I look up a lot. <laughs> so. Well, let's uh, let's talk about publicity. So, if uh, an author comes to you and they say, "Megan Beatty, world-renowned publicist, uh, publishing expert, yeah. um, make my book a superstar," what kind of services um, do you provide? How, how how do you go about running a book? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have many authors who will call and say, "I want to be a New York Times bestseller. What can you do to make me one?" And I say, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! Back up! Back up! Back up!" Um, and there's, there's a lot of, I, I, part of my job, which is not in the job description so much is, is really author education is laying out the realities and tempering the expectations because, um, I think what I do has incredible value. Um, uh, you know, this is maybe going off on a little bit of a tangent, but uh, one, one of the biggest questions I get from authors is, what do you do that's different from an in-house publicist? So, because if you're, if you're going to have a book published by, say, Random House, you're going to be assigned a publicist who is to handle all the PR aspects of your book. So, it is, it's a completely valid question. Why would I spend a lot of money because Book PR is not cheap. Why would I spend a lot of money on something that is going to be part of the book being published? At, you know where I would well, have uh, to start. Start it. there, real quick, if yeah. we, if we could. Uh, yeah. If I'm an author coming to you and I'm trying to budget for your amazing services or a a, a different publicist, what uh, what sort of publicity budget should an author be setting aside up and above what their uh, publisher may have already put in? Sure. Yeah. It's. Um, I'll have authors who'll come and say, you know, I'm looking for publicity and I have $2,000. And I'll say, well, ye, not me then. I mean, I, I'm sort of an all or nothing gal. I mean, I, it's hard for me to, to just do, like people will say, okay, I just want the New York Times and Entertainment Weekly, just those two things, how much? It just doesn't work like that. My, I have to cast a wide net to, like you have to go after two, 200 media outlets to get 10 things or 15 things or 20 things. So it's really hard to kind of have a very narrow scope. So that's all to say I like to be, and I like to be very immersive. It's hard to kind of just do this and that with, with a book project. So I like to you know 
to do, I'm a good writer, so I like to write all the press materials. I like to brainstorm with my authors and figure out, you know, what, what, what's their story beyond the book? What, because that's really what, that's really the, the essence of publicity. It's not just, hey, this is a good book and you should review it. Because a lot of people are just, the review possibilities are very limited. People are, you know, just, for example, People Magazine used to have like, I don't know, four or five pages of book reviews. Now they have one page and there's barely, you know, five books on it. So the, the opportunities for book reviews are very limited. So what that means is you have to get creative. So it, so when I work with my authors, I try to pull out what their story is. So, um, so why did they write this book? There's usually some sort of true story that's factored into the, the novel they've written. So can they talk about that? Um, I um, Can they write about it? Is there an essay that we could place at a media outlet that would be a way to bring attention to the book? Um, are they an expert about something that even though they've written a novel about it, they're, they have an expertise that they could, they could talk about the, the nonfiction aspect of their story because that's really it's 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 difficult excuse me to get um to to get radio interviewers to talk to novelists and then unless there's something they can talk about beyond this is what my book's about so that's that's kind of the key that i work with with my authors is to figure out who they are and what their story is um so can you give us uh, an example uh, of how you might go about that for a particular project? Sure, yeah. So, um, gosh, there's so many. Um, so I'm working on this fantastic um, crime um, police procedural called One Small Sacrifice by Hillary Davidson. It's coming out June 1st. And um, there's an aspect in the book about PTSD. One of the, the main characters is suffering from PTSD, and it's locked a lot of his memories and so that factors into the crime because who did he do it he can't remember there there's all this you know um murkiness because of a past trauma from that he suffered from so um so hillary um hillary davidson she had actually had a real life experience where in one of her first jobs out of college she was working in an office and um, it was a to do with uh, with veterans, and a disgruntled veteran came in and um, and set the office on fire. And you know, terrifying. Everyone was okay. She was escaped, but she recalled that 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 experience really um, gave her you know her own experience with PTSD. So no doubt. Yeah. So she. Um, that really was a big inspiration for this character. So, um, so what I had Hillary do is, is she, um, she wrote a first person essay about it. And it's something that I'm using in my, um, in my pitching, like her book is great. She has great um, advanced blurbs about this book, but she also has something she can talk about that is very relevant to a lot of people. And I think, you know, readers, you you look off you often turn to books for an experience that 
know, either relates to your own or you know, makes you feel like you're not alone. And so that's, I hope that there'll be um, readers who read this book and feel like they're not alone um, in reading his character and, and seeing his experience. So, yeah. So that way, if I'm a radio guy or a TV guy uh, and I want to interview the author and I say, okay, well, now we'll spend, you know, three minutes talking about the book. But now I've got another five minutes of content. We can talk about the story of the veteran coming out. That that is that the idea? Exactly. Exactly. And that's something that's going to have more, in my experience, it's going to have more appeal than just, oh, this is a best-selling author who wants to talk about her new book. Well, then I should tell esteemed audience, I was once attacked by giant robot bees. It was terrifying. There you go. <laughs> More details coming in my memoir. <laughs> so um, if I'm an author listening to this and I'm saying $2,000, I wish I had that kind of budget. Uh, what What is a realistic budget to set? Yeah, I mean, my, just being honest, I am not cheap. My campaigns are $15,000 starting. And that run, that is, but you have me. I mean, you, you have me. You have me thinking about your book at two in the morning, literally on the weekend. I, I am, I only take on, I take on a very select number of projects because I want to make sure I can give 100% to each book that I'm working on. Um, and it's, you know, it's a good chunk of time. I'm, I'm working on with authors. Uh, it it varies, but it can be eight months, it can be a year. No, my um my fee, I don't charge a, a monthly retainer. Um, I've really found like if if I'm starting, if I have a wider time range, the the work is kind of more spread out. If it's if it's less time, then the work is more concentrated. So um, yeah, and I do I do press materials. I do um online media, print media, broadcast media. I work with authors on story ideas of essays they can write. I set up book signings, um, depending on, you know, if it's a middle grade book or um, a children's book, I do school tours. I, um, you know, I'm there with my authors when they're in Los Angeles. I don't, I don't tend to travel with them. Um, just be, I mean, just logistically, I have to be kind of a, you know, Round zero to be doing my thing, but um, but yeah, whenever there are LA events, I'm always I'm, I make sure I'm there um, as support. Um, yeah, pitching for book festivals. Um, I I work with my authors on on social media. Um, to I don't I don't do social media for them, but I counsel them on best practices and kind of give them you know. Some are completely social media savvy, but some are really starting with nothing and think, oh, I've got to do social media to promote my book. And so we talk about like what what's going to fit in with what what their lifestyle is and their preferences and what's going to really work to support the book. So with social media, is there one particular platform you found more effective than others? Well, it, it sort of depends. I mean, um, Instagram, I think, is fantastic. Um, very, very visual. Um, it's certainly um, where the younger readers are. So for my YA, we're all about Instagram. I think Facebook is more um, 
for the older set. I'm working with a um, with an author who's in his 70s and said, I don't want to do Instagram. I don't want to do Twitter. I know how to do Facebook. And I said, great. Then and he is doing fantastic. And he's posting photos and he's his reviews and he has a good following on Facebook. So um, so so that's perfect. And then you know, Twitter is it's Twitter is good if it's if it's your jam. Like I, I Twitter's not for everybody, but if you're um, I think Twitter's great when you're um, you're you're part of the community rather than just and this is really goes for social media in general. General, um, if you're joining the bigger community rather than just kind of blasting out in from my book, my book, my book, you can't do it that way. You have to really kind of ease your way into the, the group, support other authors, support other books. Um, and I think then if, if you, you know, you're spreading good karma where other authors will then support you when your book comes out. That makes sense. I block people that are my book, my book, my book. Uh, especially yeah. people that, that tag me and like, hey, middle grade ninja, I have this book and it's about this. Like, don't don't pull me into your book. I don't even know what it's about yet. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So okay. Um. So for authors listening to say, I have fifteen thousand dollars, or I can blow up my credit card because I'm going to make two hundred thousand dollars on the on the back end from all the publicity. How yeah. do you measure the effectiveness of a publicity campaign like that? Now this is another great question because uh, this is this is the rub. I mean, when you if you spend fifteen thousand dollars on advertising, you are going you it, it may or may not deliver you know two hundred thousand dollars in revenues for your book, but you'll see it. Like if you pay fifteen thousand dollars for I don't know I, I'm sure it's a ton more, but if you bought like an ad in Entertainment Weekly you would see your app. With publicity, it's very amorphous. Um, you're pay for me, you're paying for my efforts. I never say, I can guarantee that I will get you an interview on NPR and Today Show and New York Times review because I just don't know. I'm good at what I do. I know that people listen to me and respect, you know, media people respect me and will look at my at what I'm representing, but they'll never do it just because I say so. So in the end, it's still, it's still all about the book. You know, the adage, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. That's exactly right. Um, so I still don't honestly know the answer to this question. How, um, you know, at the end of a campaign, would you see, um, well, you know, my, sure, if you do end up on the bestseller list, you can say, oh, okay, my, that publicity got me there. But it's, the vast majority of authors don't hit the list. But I feel like I've, at the end of a campaign, I've, at the very least, have built an, a really solid foundation of media coverage that is going to continue to, send that author to greater and greater exposure. Um, I mean, I think of my Goldberg McDuffie, um, when I first started there, was working with um, an author, you know, this was again, um, 1997, was working with an author no one had ever heard of. Her name is Jody Pico. Um, she, she hired Goldberg McDuffie 
And my um, Camille McDuffie, one of the most amazing publicists ever, worked with her on book after book. She wrote a book every year and her books were really good. And they always had kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, they always had something topical in them that was um, kind of was buzzy to talk about in an interview. Like she wrote a book, um, I can't even remember what year it was, but she wrote a book about um, abuse, abuse in the priesthood. And she, the book came out before kind of the news initially kind of blew up about, about all that in the Catholic church. And so it was like, she was an oracle. Um, but that, that's all to say, she wasn't a New York Times, number one New York Times bestseller as she is now with that first book or that second book. But every book, she got more and more publicity and she built up more and more readers until she became a number one New York Times bestseller. So I always caution authors that it's it's an investment. And if if it's way more than your advance, it might not be a good idea to invest in an independent book publicist. Stick with your, you know, there are so many good in-house publicists. Work with them. Give them the resources they need. Be the squeaky wheel. Um, don't just, you know, wait for them to deliver you, you know, a bunch of great reviews. Um, I, I never want to work with somebody where it's really pushing their budget because it's just, it's, it's too scary. And I don't know, you know, I just don't know what I'm going to get. I know I'm going to work my butt off. I know, and I never take on any book that I don't feel I can really deliver on. But um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of my my advice like if you if you can't afford book pr i think you know hiring an, an independent book publicist um i think you shouldn't but if you can you definitely should another question on the back of that if you uh, want to be the squeaky wheel but respectful uh yeah. and not be the not alienate your your in-house yeah. publicist what's a good way to bother them without without doing that yes um yes you 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 want to show that you have 100% faith in them because if it's if it comes across as like you're checking up on them, um, that will cause an adversarial relationship. So you want to really um, show them that you you consider it a partnership that you as the author are going to work as hard as they are. And um, you know I think it's it's about it's about being organized with um, you know when I work with a, a new author I one of the first things I ask is, okay, who do you know? Because, you know, who do you know in the media? Because it's, it can be so surprising. People will say, oh, you know what? My um, roommate from college, I think she's now um, working in the features department at the Chicago Tribune or whatever it is. Like, I, those connections are so important. So it's, it's really about offering up all the advantages and resources that you as the author have to your publicist and then figuring out how um, to make the most of them. But I think it's, it's not being too pesky, but you also, you know, you can't just sit back and be like, you know, have it. I, I've worked with authors where they came to me six weeks ahead of publication date and they said, you know, I have, I've never heard from my in-house publicist. I don't know what's going on. It's like, oh my God, you've got to, you know, if you're not hearing, you've got to go to your editor and say, who's my, publicist and let's make a plan and you know a lot of times you have to take take kind of um take the initiative yourself without being too much of a, a pest 
but I think you just can't you can't sit back and be passive either. Yeah, fortunately, there are enough of those authors to clear out room for the for the others who aren't. I'm always amazed when I meet authors. I, I wrote the book. Now you do it. <laughs> what? Yeah, That's, no, no, writing no. the book was the fun part. Now you do the. <laughs> yeah, you know it. <laughs> but um, well, let me uh, let me. You said uh, six weeks. That's that's way too late. So when should an author? Uh, how far ahead of publication should an author begin putting their marketing plan into place and start marketing the book? Yeah, I mean, you really should be thinking about it at least a year in advance. Um, I tend to work with authors about eight eight months ahead of publication date, but some authors, you know, are coming to me now talking about books that are are published in March of 2020. So, um, which, you know, I, and I, honestly, I tend to book up early, so it's good to come to me early. Um, but yeah, you really have to be, um, you know, at least six months be figuring out what the plan is, like finding out what your publisher's plan is, because they may have it covered. You may not need anybody, but you need to know that. So, you know, I would say, you know, a year in advance, um, Kind of get the lay of the land and what they're they won't have the specific the publisher won't have the specifics of what they're going to do yet but at least you'll kind of get a sense of what kind of the big picture if if your book is like a big book for the season or if it's not because then then you really want to think about getting someone else to help you how do you know if it's a big book of the season yeah that's a that's a good question um i i think a lot of times you can you can tell by um you know, your agent can suss that out um, when there's they're clearly putting marketing dollars behind it. You know, the planning, advertising, whatever. That's that's a good indication. If they're sending you to pre-pub conferences, that's a good indication. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if if on your your arc it just says you know review copy mailings, then you might want to think about. Because that's like a like the bare bones thing to do. So you may want to get someone to supplement on that one. So. Yeah, I can always uh, tell when I get books in the mail. Um, sometimes that I don't even ask for, which which makes me sad because then I'm just going to set it aside or give it to a friend. Sometimes I, depending on the book, if it's in, in something I'd be interested in or not, and I think, oh, that came out of their marketing budget. That's a shame. Um, but um, oh, where was I going with that? I had a question for you, and it's gone right out of my head. So I better ask a different one. Um, so oh, uh, if you're looking to work with an author, um, somebody comes to you and, and says, Megan, I heard you on the Middle Grade Ninja uh, podcast. You sound amazing. I know you're going to make at least $200,000 for my book. Um, how should they approach you? And what's your criteria for choosing who you're going to work with? And also, how many authors are you are you working with typically? Sure. Yeah. Um, so most so usually authors will either email me um, directly. I'm Megan at MeganBeatty.com. Or they'll see through my website, there's a form you can fill out. So people, a lot of times people will contact me that way. Um, or they'll just call me. And um, I like to, it's nice to have the email first because then I kind of have a sense of um, the, what the book's about. And even if I can, you know, have the availability to take it on. Um, but what I do is I, I look at it and, you know, if it's, if it's a book coming out two months from now, I usually have to say, I'm sorry, I'm too busy. And. I always try to recommend um, someone else to contact. Um, and but if it's something I think I could potentially work on, then what I do is I, um, you know, make sure I know publisher, 
publication date, what the book's about. I look at their website. I look at their social media presence, kind of get an overall sense of them. And then I, um, I'll set up a phone call. Um, and it's really, they're interviewing me, I'm interviewing them. Um, and um, to kind of talk about, you know, a lot like how we're talking today, like who I am and what I do. Um, so they can get a sense of me. And then I also want to hear what their expectations are, um, if they sound like a nice person. And that's my number one for my clients. They have to be nice. <laughs> I've worked with too many pills in my more than 20 year career to not, so you have to be nice first and foremost. And then second, you have to have a good book. So um, not all publicists do this, um, but I always read the book first before I say, yes, I definitely want to work on this. Because I have to see that it's good and I have to see that I like it. Um, because um, I've, I've had to work on some books that I didn't like and it's just, it's just not fun. And isn't there a potential danger if you start sending around too many uh, garbage books that people start ignoring your uh, emails and phone calls? Absolutely. No, that's, that's a great point. Um, uh, yeah. So my, my reputation is always a little bit tenuous in that I'm as good as my last project. So uh, yes, no, you're absolutely right. I do. I do think about that too. So yeah. So I read the book, um, make sure I love it. And then um, I write a proposal here are all the things I want to do, I can do for your book. And then it's up to the author. You know, I'm, they will often um, talk to other authors I've worked with, which I think is, I think is, a, is a great idea and really good, a good idea for, for authors to, to do their homework about publicists. Um, and What's the then, best way yeah. to judge a publicist, assuming uh, somebody already got rejected by you, they're heartbroken, but they're limping on and, and, and trying to find a, another publicist to work with. Um, yeah. What is a good way to evaluate a publicist? Make sure you're getting somebody that's on the ball. Yeah, I think it's um, it's talking to them, um, having that phone conversation. Just you must talk to them by phone. Um, I think um, I think doing a FaceTime, Google, like you know, literally face to face, where you're seeing the person, I think is a great way. Um, I'm always thrilled if it's a local person, so I can meet them in person. Um, and then I think it's um, looking at what other books they've worked on. Like if you're if you're a YA author, you shouldn't be with somebody who's mostly doing nonfiction, because especially with YA, it is it's a very close community, and you, you need someone who really gets it and not not only has the contacts but knows kind of how um, how to communicate. You can't you can't pitch a YA um, media contact the way you would pitch someone at the Atlantic. It's just a different it's a different style. Um, so I think it's just making sure that your your the publicist has an expertise in whatever your um, book is and whatever genre. So and an assumption I'd have, I'll, I'll throw it out there, and you can challenge it and tell me I'm wrong. Um, I love it when that happens because then I learned something. Um, but one of the rudest people I have ever met in my life uh, was a New York literary agent, uh, and part of that could be just my 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 Hoosier manner. Uh, that I'm just not accustomed to dealing with New Yorkers, uh, but just just the rudest woman ever. I, I I still think about it sometimes, and I still bristle a little bit. How rude! But by God, she gets it done. Uh, I'm forever seeing her doing just amazing things for her authors. I'm like, well, okay, uh, if 
this is somebody you're approaching for a service. I understand why you as a publicist wouldn't want to work with an author that's a jerk. Um, you don't want to have those um, uh, Devil Wears Prada flashbacks. Uh, but if, uh, if I'm an author and I don't have to deal with you other than professionally, how important is it that I find a publicist that's also a nice person? Yeah, um, oh, good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it's a. It depends on your what on your style. Like some people don't need warm and fuzzy, and they just want a you know a bulldog who's going to get it done. So if if that's if that's your style, then then great. Um, yeah, for me, I just because I've worked with so many with all kinds of people and. Um, and I care deeply and I take, I keep thinking I'm going to get a, a, you know, have a thick, thick shell, um, but I still take everything so personally. So I just, it, for me personally, I just need to really, I need to work with, with nice people who, you know, believe, who have faith in me. And so um, because, because like kind of what getting back to what we were talking to before, because publicity is so, it, it's hard to, to qualify. Like when I, if I'm going after 200 media contacts and only hearing from two people who are reviewing my book, like my client has to know that I have tried all those people. Um, I, they can't think, well, she only tried two people. Um, so they have to, you know, there has to be, there's definitely a trust factor involved. So you like send an email, here's everybody that said no, try and have a good day? Well, so here's the, the problem. When people don't want it, they don't say no. I'm actually elated when someone says no rather than, I mean, I would much rather to have them say yes. But when they say no, at least I know and I won't bother them again. Um, but when I don't hear back, it's like, are they not getting my emails? Is it going into spam? Are they deleting me without looking? Like you just you just don't know, and it's very you know it's you, you really have to you know believe that, and I and I get it because I've I've been on the other side when I've worked on an incredibly popular book. It's so hard to keep up. Like you can only say yes to the things you want because otherwise you spend all your time being like no thank you no thank you no thank you. So I I do get it for these busy journalists, but it's just it can be soul crushing. To not hear back from people, um, and it's getting, you know, email is just everybody's emailing. So you know, I I like to think people see my name and it will it will at least open. Um, you know, I try I try to use the phone a lot, but I've heard like a, a book editor told me once she's like I don't even check my voicemail messages. So. Um, so then you're stuck with email and, um, you know, I try, I try not to be too gimmicky because it's just not my style, um, to get people to open an email, but it is, it's, it's challenging. It's very challenging, but it's so exciting when you hear back from somebody and they're like, oh my God, I love this book. I'm going to review it. Um, so I try to do every, I try to do everything in a very customized, personalized way. So um, for example, I'm, I'm working on a, a novel that's translated, um, from Spanish. It's called the murmur of bees. It's 
beautiful historical novel coming out this month. And I was trying to figure out like what book reviewers like, have reviewed other Spanish translations who this book might appeal to. And I found a reviewer at the Washington Post and I wrote to him and I said, I saw you reviewed, I can't remember the novel, but it was another Spanish translation. Would you be willing to check out my book? And he did, and he's going to review it. And so, you know, that I'd like to think that showed him that I had done my homework, that I'm not just like doing a blanket um, blast to everyone. And, um, you know, I was offering him something that would, in fact, have appealed to him. So I think that's really the key with publicity is not just doing like a one size fits all, but really focusing in on who might really the book might appeal to. So. So are you going through and sending personalized messages for everybody you contact to, to query, I guess? Yeah. I mean, certainly I'll do, I'll do, a, I'll send an email, a blast email to my whole list if I have like a great publisher's weekly review to share. Um, because that's really just like, I want you to know about this. So I'll certainly do it that way. But then when I'm going like, this is why you should review this book. It has to be very like, I know you. I know what you like, and this is why you should do this book. That makes sense. I get uh, lots of requests from authors and people, uh, and I try. I'm always forever behind on email. So if you're waiting to hear from me, I'm usually about a week behind. Um, but um, uh, it's just because I've, I've got to prioritize writing and everything else. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd just be on email all day. Um, but uh, if I get an email that says, Dear Blogger, that's my, I'm already hovering over the delete button. You've already annoyed me. So that book yeah. really has to grab my attention for me to go any further than that. Those people don't usually don't get a response. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I have um, I have a friend who writes for the Boston Globe and her column is very specific. She does not review, she does not interview. She does, um, she, well, she talks to authors, big, big authors, like you have to have a big profile um, about the books that they're reading. So, she's never going to respond to like a blanket pitch of like, would you please review my book? Because that's not what she does. And that person is showing that they don't know what she does. So, um, you know, it's just a good example of like, know your, know who you're going after. And you just really can't just be like, let's see what sticks. You have to like hone in. And I know you chose to, or you choose to focus not solely, but, but very specifically on a lot of middle grade, a lot of young adult, um, what is it? What? How is young adult and middle grade uh, promotion different than promotion for nonfiction or, or adult books? Yeah, well, it's it's funny. I um I remember I was trying to think of like what the first YA novel was that I worked on, and I think it was this book called Hick, which was published in um, two thousand and seven. Um, which was it was kind of coming out before really YA was a thing. Um. But we, at the agency, we'd, we would get calls about children's books and we'd be like, no, we only do adult books. We only do adult books. And then this book Hick came along about this, this teenage character. Um, and I, I ended up working on it. And it sort of was like the beginning of something for me that I just fell into because I worked on this book and then I started working on on you know why became bigger and bigger and then i the more why authors i worked with the more found out about me until um i became known as one of the one of the prominent YA book publicists 
Um, and I think, you know, it's, I love the, I love, you can't really call it a genre, but you know, the age range. Um, I think the books are, um, I just, I really love, I love working in YA. I love, you know, the, the fantasy sci-fi aspects of it, the, the magic and the, you know, imaginative part of that aspect of YA. And then the contemporary realistic novels, um, you know, I think when you're a young adult, everything, you're experiencing these big life issues um, a lot of times for the first time. And, you know, everything like your first love is like the biggest thing in the world. And so, and I love that how those themes come out in YA novels and, um, and the authors are, are great. The YA literary community are for the most part really supportive and um, connected. And I just, I really, I'm really proud to be a part of, of working on those books. And um, yeah, I do the publicity for Y'all West, which is the Young Adult Book Festival in Santa Monica coming up May 4th, um, which is so fun because um, it's a festival. They get like, you know, 20,000 people show up and most of them are actually young adults. And that's sort of the, um, what's curious about YA fiction is a lot of grownups are reading YA. But at this festival, there are a lot of teenagers, and that is the coolest. Like whenever I'm somewhere where I'm seeing young people engaged about books and authors, that just like makes my heart sing. So great. I'm used to going to lots of conferences where I'll talk to other adult authors and, and people in the publishing industry. And I went to RosieCon here oh, three or four weeks back. I uh, met with uh, Lamar Giles and some other tremendous um, uh, YA authors. And there were actual teenagers in there. So I'm looking around like, oh, yeah, this is that, that's who this is for. That It makes sense that they would be here. <laughs> what a good idea. Yeah, yeah it's so true. I, years ago, um, Ontario, California has this book the young adult, a teen book festival, and it's at Ontario High School. It's like this gorgeous high school, and it was on a Saturday, and I went out there, and there were all these authors, and the, the audience was all like 30 and older women. And I was like, how is this possible when we're, the festival is at a high school? Why did not every teacher say, turn up for the festival to get extra credit or something? Like, here it's like on their own turf, and there were no teenagers. It's amazing, but yeah, it's so great to, when they actually, you know, turn up and are really energized and excited about about authors. So it's great. What, um, assuming that, that, well, let me ask you a couple questions. You said uh, eight months um, is, is ideal to start planning a publicity campaign from launch date, and then how long do you continue promoting post-launch, and when is the time to call it and focus on the next book? Yeah, I mean, my how. And publicists do it all different ways. My usual schedule is I stay on six weeks after publication date because I am all about the book launch. So my goal is for everything to happen at book launch. And then um, reviews and interviews and features don't always happen right on pub date. So they kind of, they hit a little bit after pub date and then they taper off. So usually by six weeks, um, the majority of the publicity has happened and for me, it's time to move on. Uh, certainly, um, I, I I work with some authors on there. There are few a uh, few authors I work with on an ongoing basis, and that's usually when they have multiple books coming out in a year. So I'm kind of I'm 
almost a project manager managing their brand and um, and that sort of thing. Um, but for the most part, like I'm doing launch and then I move on. Um, so, but I try. Why, uh, why, why, why is that advantageous versus a book that's been out two years, but is maybe uh, picking up a little bit of steam or the author wants to see about maybe doing a sequel, but it hasn't done so well. Is there something to breathe new life into that or is it just better to move on? Well, uh, many authors will come to me with exactly that. Like, hey, I have this book and maybe something's new. There's new about it. Can you, would you do a push for me? Um, and I usually don't because, um, be, just because I, I have enough work with the the new launches and when you work with the media like it it's about the news so the news of the book is that it's coming out so if a book's already out like it's already been written about so it's hard to kind of stir stir the pot again i guess um but that's not to say there there are many publicists who who will do that um and especially if there is something new like for example a book has been out a few years but now there's the movies coming out. So that that does allow for a new opportunity to, to kind of get some new PR around it. That makes sense. And then do you work uh, with uh, independently published authors as well as traditionally published? Or are you preferring to speak mostly with uh, traditional authors? I honestly, I prefer to work with published, published authors by the big houses because you know, the honest truth is it's easier. The, the, the established publishing houses have, you know, they have the distribution in place, they have the marketing in place, they have support in house. Um, when you're an ind independent, independently uh, published author, you don't have that support, so you've got to create it all yourself. And so, for the more, most part, um, I I just don't because it it's like a whole other layer layer of complexity. Um, but I have. I, for example, I worked um, a few years ago with this fantastic YA author. Her name is Lauren Miller. She um, was traditionally published for a couple of her books that did well. And she's, um, she wanted to write a new novel, she, or she had written a new novel, and she wanted to do it herself. And she said, and she's someone I, I'd worked with before, and I, I adore, and she's like, will you do it? And she's like, she said, I will, she's a, a very um, smart businesswoman. She's like, I will have everything covered. I'm going to work with Ingram Spark. We're going to have distribution in place. I'm going to get a gorgeous jacket. I'm going to get blurbs. I said, okay. And it was great because, especially because it was it was a YA novel, the, the YA media, she already had this great reputation, so she wasn't a new voice. And we got as much or more publicity than we had for her previous book that had been traditionally published. So that's all to say, never say never, but as I tend not to, um, just because it's it's just more com complicated. And what uh, what's the most important thing would you say for an author to know going in about marketing? What What's the number one thing you want to instill in authors that you're talking to and, and, and working with that they need to know going in? Gosh, I mean, I think we touched on it a little bit. It, you know, you can't you can't just write a good book and be like, I'm done. I'll just sit back and wait for you know the the royalties to come in. It's a whole other aspect of of writing a book is the marketing and the publicity. Um, 
and you just you can't as an author you just can't be passive you have to be an active partner in it um and and i don't mean that you should be contacting newspapers yourself but you do have to think okay who who do i know who can who can help me and you know building making sure you have a great website that's easy to navigate and um and interesting and you know doing social media and figuring out you know do you have like a big say you say you live in los angeles but you're from san francisco and you have a a family there and a big local network like you got to get have an event there have an event in san francisco but you can't expect the bookstore to fill the house you have to be like set up an evite and get your people get your people to rally um, so how would an author go about that are we talking a newsletter twitter facebook yeah yeah um one of my good friends whose name is um fazia burke and you should actually you might want to think about having her on your podcast she's she's an internet um she does book um marketing and she has this great book called um internet i think it's called internet marketing for busy authors and she says in the book her number one recommendation is that authors do an, an e build a mailing list so you have your website and you have like you have a you know subscribe to my mailing list um because especially now the way social media is and if you put something on facebook your your followers are not necessarily going to see it because the way the algorithm works but with the mailing list if people have opted in and you should never subscribe people unless that unless they've said they want to join but people who have opted into your list are the most likely to open it um so as long as you don't pester people by sending like an e-letter every other day um and you're you're offering um value added information not, again not just like my book my book my book but you know here's something special for um you know fans of my series this new book and download an excerpt or um you know whatever it might be but building the mailing list is super important and that's really a long-term process but you know over time you could build a really solid mailing list so that um you know a few weeks before your book's coming out you can send your list and be and make an announcement and i always encourage authors to send to their um you know their personal contacts my book is coming out here's where i'm appearing please you know order my book you know, not just on Amazon, make sure you offer all the online sites. Um, but please, if you like my book, write something about it on Goodreads, on Amazon, on um, Barnes and Noble, you know, all of the sites, like, don't just read it. If you like it, review it because those reviews built like a Goodreads author, your books, the more positive reviews you have, the more likely you're going to get attention from, you know, the Goodreads editorial. So um, I encourage people to always mobilize their, their network about supporting their book. You know, share it on Twitter, put the jacket on Instagram, whatever it might be. Um, but people don't always, your friends who love you, don't always think that that's what they need to do. So you just have to kind of remind them. Makes sense to me. Well, Megan, I, I have so many more questions for you about marketing, and I know you have so many more answers that I would benefit and the esteemed audience would benefit from. Unfortunately, I also know we're, we're coming here toward the end of our time. Uh, remind esteemed audience where they can find you online, how they can uh, get set up with you. 
Sure thing. Um, so my website is meganbeatty.com, and it's M-E-G-A-N-B-E-A-T-I-E.com. So meganbeatty.com, and you can find me on Twitter at mbeatty, and Instagram, M-U-Beatty, and um, Facebook is Megan Beatty Communications. And yeah, I'm happy to, you know, feel free, free to reach out and ask me questions. And, you know, I'm happy to, you know, if anyone's interested, I'm happy to set up a phone conversation. 50% discount to anybody who listens to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. Thanks, Rob. This has uh, been absolutely wonderful. Thank you uh, again for making the time. And uh, esteemed audience, obviously, I'm at middlegradeninja.com. Come there, see me. If you like the show, if you'd like, if you're an author or a, a, a publicist, a literary agent, anybody in publishing who'd like to be on the show, please don't hesitate to email me. I'd love to talk with you. Uh, make sure you come back on Monday when we'll be uh, talking with a uh, uh, Padma Venkatraman. Uh, make sure you get registered at mariesfratis.com for MoCon uh, coming up here, what, May uh, 3rd through the 5th. Uh, and please subscribe and review. That's greatly appreciated. Don't forget to download your free copy of Vanicker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees or the Book of David if you're feeling adventurous. Um, Megan, I've been asking our guests to sign us off with our sign-off phrase, which is hi-ya and what have you. When you sign us off. Hi-ya and what have you. Thank you.